Have you ever watched a great talk? A TED talk, for example, and thought, wow, that was fabulous. I wish I could do it like that. If so, you'll really enjoy this episode. It's an analysis of one of the very best ones that I've seen, and I'm sure that there are some simple techniques here that you can apply to your next presentation. It's best if you watch the talk first, or at least afterwards, so you get maximum value from what follows. My name is Andrew Thorpe. Welcome to Leaning Forward. I have to say that I'm in a, a TED mode at the moment because I've just been involved in hosting TEDx Warrington in Northwest England. It's not the first time that I've played the role of MC, but this was my maiden voyage uh, when it comes to hosting a TED event, and I absolutely loved it. So thank you, Kirsty James, the lady who organised it, for putting your trust in me. One of the first questions that she asked us in the run-up to this event was, what is your favourite TED Talk? Now, that's a tough question to answer because, as with the um, what's your favourite movie question, it depends. Depends on what mood I'm in, uh, what I'm currently interested in. I'm sure that I'll be revisiting the talks from that very same TEDx Warrington event uh, once they're online, because all the speakers absolutely nailed their presentations. They were wonderful. But one talk that stayed with me for years was delivered way back in 2013 by an Indian computer scientist with some radical ideas about education. His name is Professor Sugata Mitra, and I've always considered his talk as something of a presentation masterclass. I wasn't alone in this, because his talk won the TED Prize that year, and I've included a link to it in the episode notes. His talk is entitled Build a School in the Cloud. It's an expression of his wish that we move to an educational model that is self-organised, with learning gained through experimentation and collaboration between pupils. The role of teachers, he suggests, should be more about asking questions and giving encouragement. A key part of his talk is what's become known as the hole-in-the-wall experiment. He placed a computer in a wall in a slum in Delhi and observed local children as they played with it and acquired knowledge with no formal training and with no English. He repeated and expanded the experiment, and he saw children in the street tackle topics as complicated as DNA replication. Give children from all walks of life a computer with broadband access, a chance to work together and heaps of encouragement, and according to the professor, you have a model for unstoppable learning through a worldwide cloud. According to Wikipedia, 
Mitra's experiment inspired the Indian diplomat Vikas Swarup to write his debut novel Q&A. And that was the basis for the hit movie Slumdog Millionaire. But at this point, you might be asking yourself, well, what place does this have in the Leaning Forward podcast? Well, it's about that masterclass. Um, that the professor gave on the TED stage that day in 2013. What does he do that made it such a great talk? So over the next few minutes, um, I'm going to put his talk under the microscope and consider what we might apply to our own presentations. I probably shouldn't start with this, but he seems to break one of the TED commandments, not the Ten Commandments, the TED Commandments, that thou shalt not speak for more than 18 minutes. His talk comes in just short of 22 minutes, and I suppose the lesson here is that if you're going to run over time, you better make damn sure that what you say is good. He gets a standing ovation, and his talk won the TED Prize that year, so I guess he passed that measure. He starts with a question. What is going to be the future of learning? Now, I often talk to my clients about starting with a grabber, something that seizes the audience's attention. And in this case, it's sort of a a soft grabber, but at least it gets him abruptly into his theme. He's setting the scene for his topic, but it's as much about the way he says it that matters. He's clearly excited about what he's got to share with us, but he's also at ease. And he puts us at ease. We kind of mirror the style of the presenter. It's an indication that we're in for something enjoyable and insightful, uh, something that's delivered in a, a conversational style. He tells us that he needs to start with a story, but it's not really a story in the conventional sense of an of an anecdote. It's more about how the Victorians built an empire by creating what he calls a, a global computer made of people. I love the timing and the emphasis that he puts into that phrase and the way he slows down and articulates the words carefully. It puts more weight on those words. Because remember, not all the things that we say have the same importance. Emphasis helps the audience to understand what matters. He also invites us to consider something by saying, imagine. Imagine trying to run the show trying to run the entire planet without computers, without telephones. Using a prompt like imagine opens up our minds. It invites us to consider something new or maybe something familiar, but in a new way. And it's a really useful way to have your audience um, in the right state of mind. The Victorians, he claims, invented the BAM, That's the bureaucratic administrative machine and also the school as a way to churn out consistent robots with certain key skills that enabled them to be parachuted into any part of the world and work in the interests of the empire. He says that we've inherited that same educational system. It's not broken, 
but it's not needed anymore. It's obsolete. As you watch his talk, you'll see a few slides flash up on the big screen behind him. Not many, but they're they're nice, simple graphics like the occasional um, typed out statement. And they serve as key markers in his narrative. He's kind of signposting what's important and making it easy for us to follow his train of thought. But he's still got some work to do here with his scene setting. He's got to make all this Victorian stuff relevant to a 21st century audience. What are the consequences of living with this obsolete system? That's when he talks about the jobs of today and those of the future. He casts doubt on whether our education system designed for the past is preparing our young people for the future. He's taken four minutes to set the scene, to outline the problem, and you often don't get that long in a, a business presentation, so you'd have to find a way of condensing that um, that introduction. But at least now we're primed for the solution. What comes next is, well, to use a musical term, a change of key. He tells the story of the hole-in-the-wall experiment. I bumped into the whole thing completely by accident, he claims. He describes the process by which he arrived at his beliefs as if it were by chance, through serendipity, something positive but unexpected. This is a really nice technique for when you're describing a solution of some kind that you've come up with. Talk in terms of stumbling upon something. Describe the process of figuring something out use phrases like, and it got me thinking. You're essentially reenacting the process of discovery, and it helps the audience to relive it and appreciate it too. I love the way he litters that hole-in-the-wall story with humour. There's a point where a sceptical colleague suggests that the street kids might have been helped by one of the professor's students who happened to be in the vicinity. So Mitra then repeated the experiment in a remote village, many miles away from the city. Um, And he could have explained this by using a a sort of a bland phrase like, uh, to make the experiment more robust. But instead, he says, I went 300 miles out of Delhi into a really remote village where the chances of a passing software development engineer was very little. And he gets a laugh. During his talk, he shows the occasional piece of video footage, but he does more than simply let it play. He takes us into each clip, describing who's saying what to whom. There's a lovely section on pronunciation where he he points out a young woman looking intently at a screen during a a classroom session. He explains that she was from a small community in southern India where English pronunciation is particularly bad. And his computer had a a speech-to-text facility. Keep talking into it until it types what you say. Now, we could have said something like, and this woman improved her pronunciation skills by a factor of five, during the four-week course, and she found employment in a local data management centre. Instead, he says, 
The reason I ended with the face of this young lady over here is because I suspect many of you know her. She's now joined a call centre in Hyderabad and may have tortured you about your credit card bills in a very clear English accent. And again, he gets a laugh. He gets a laugh by being a bit more playful. We're going to take a quick break now to hear from a fellow storyteller and podcaster, Stefano Capiccione. He's a wizard with words, a collector of tales, and I would thoroughly recommend his show, Storytelling with Puck. Here he is to tell you more. The story I'll, I'll read for you. The Once with Three Little Girls. This is a dream that I think really shows how we view transformation. Dreams, emotions, empathy, connection, stories. Storytelling with Puck. Find your next tantalizing tale on your favorite podcast platform or at puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with Puck podcast. Thanks, Stefano. And now back to our theme. Eventually, as a result of these extraordinary experiments, the idea or the solution emerges. And he describes it in a number of ways, but most notably, it's the concept of the grandmother, an unofficial teacher who asks questions and gives encouragement. And, you know, this reminds me of the work of Carol Dweck. That's D-W-E-K, an American academic who explored the difference between a growth and a fixed mindset. Um, In her research with school kids, she found that pupils performed better on tricky tests where they were given positive feedback about effort rather than intelligence. At this point, deep into the talk, Mitra lays out his specific wish to the TED audience, his big idea. He uses an acronym SOL, S-O-L-E, that self-organised learning environment. And if you can package something conceptual into a handy catchphrase or an acronym, that can be really helpful. And he uses a, a nice simple graphic to show this on the big screen. So you've got broadband, which could be the medium, collaboration, working together, and then encouragement, i.e. the right help. And he sums it up with them. Um, an elegant phrase, don't make learning happen, let it happen. And this also reminds me of another TED talk where um, Sir Ken Robinson, uh, the late Sir Ken Robinson, talks about education being like horticulture. So you supply the medium, which could be fertile soil in the right location. You collaborate um, I guess that's the gardener working with the land and the insects and the worms getting involved too. And then you actively encourage because you water, you fertilize, maybe even you talk to the plants. And Mitra also does something towards the end that I've seen Saken do as well. He pulls out a piece of paper from his jacket and reads something out loud to get it just right. Now, I'm sure that he's perfectly capable of memorising a key phrase or indeed a whole paragraph. But in a way, it adds a little drama and, and it also adds some weight to those specific words. It's telling us this bit really matters. 
As he nears the end, he does two really important things. First, he gives us a clear call to action, a CTA. He invites us, the audience, to get involved with his big experiment, suggesting that we can engage in some self-organised learning activities and send him the data. So if you've enthused your audience about an idea and they're primed and ready to do something, make it easy for them. Tell them what to do next. And at the very end, he takes us up to a higher level, literally up, because he tells us about an encounter with a little girl in the Himalayas. It's a way of summing everything up that's come before. Apparently, he put in a couple of computers um, up in the mountains and a local girl came up to him and asked him what he was doing. So he adopted the, the granny teacher approach and he asks her what, what she thinks and what he might do next. And she reaches up. You can see a picture of her on the screen, but the professor reenacts her movement on the stage and she replies, just get on with it. It's a tiny little incident with a powerful and um, inspiring and, and really amusing message. And with that, he finishes and he gives way to this wonderful standing ovation. I think there's so much that we can learn from this amazing talk. It's a it's a lovely example of a problem explained with a solution put forward and attempting invitation to join in creating a better future. It's a serious talk about education, but it's entertaining too. It's edutainment. It's beautifully illustrated through stories and images. It's explained through a, a clear narrative path so that we can follow his argument. We're with him all the way. And it moves us emotionally to want to act with a very simple suggestion of what to do next. So I hope you'll keep this talk in your favourites file um, and maybe revisit it from time to time. But most of all, I'd urge you to try some of the techniques that I've described here, especially if you're telling the story of a project that you've led or you're advocating an idea of some kind, you might be surprised and delighted by the response that you get. That's all for now from Leaning Forward. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and do check out my good friend Stefano Capiccioni and his show Storytelling with Puck. You can find it where you normally listen to your podcasts or at puckcreations.com forward slash storytelling with puck podcast. Thank you for listening and see you next time.